Welcome back. This is episode 49 of Herpetological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. hey What <laughs> have we got for people this uh, fortnight, this bi-week? We're going to be talking about... Hmm, what is it really? I guess it's um, escape strategies of lizards. I think it's exactly that. Broadly, I I think it's it's water utilizing escape strategies of lizards. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So we've got a little bit about geckos playing Jesus, and then an animal doing some unusual stuff in the water. Yes. Both pretty remarkable uh, in two completely different ways. Yeah, and pretty fun as well. Pretty cool stuff being discovered and uh, lizards kind of pushing the limits of what lizards are supposed to be doing yes yes I suppose so but by virtue of them being lizards and then doing what they're doing they should be doing it so they're supposed to be doing it perhaps and then we, yeah. we just have we just have bad bad ideas of what lizards should be doing perhaps it would be fairer to say the lizards are pushing the boundaries of what our narrow minds perceive them to be capable of Yes, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Don't put a lizard in a box. Sorry, lizards. <laughs> yeah, it's more like it. Yeah, okay, cool. Well then, yeah, that's that's it. Um, I just thought these were both brilliant. This is another Patreon episode. Uh, so it, we can thank Jeremiah Martin for this one. Mm. So thank you, Jeremiah. Uh, pick the topic. And uh, yeah, here we are. Well... Without any sort of further delay, shall we just get straight into the first paper and you know just see where that takes us? Yeah, let's do it. So, our first one is by uh, Nirodi, Jin, Libby, Lee, Jasufi, Who, and Full. Uh, it was published in what was it published in? Current Biology. Yes. Yes, Current Biology. Geckos race across the water's surface using multiple mechanisms. Uh, I think it's relatively new too, right? 2018. Yeah. 2018, yeah. So uh, just last year. So Geckos, renowned for climbing on? on walls and climbing. Yeah. What's this guy doing? I thought they were the ones that like to stick onto stuff. Yeah. But apparently, they're also racing across water. So the title of this um, paper... And the authors as well. If you look at the author list and their affiliations, there's some from Oxford University um, and some very prestigious universities in America. And a lot of them aren't actually um, just biologists, right? Just biologists. Obviously, it's great to be a biologist. But they're also actually into, like, mechanical engineering and that kind of stuff, which Mm. is, you know, that does give you an idea of what this paper is going to be about, which is... um, a little bit daunting, to say the least. But then, yeah, kind of, I hadn't actually twigged that, to be honest, until the know. very final sentence of the paper where it says something about robots. Yeah, suddenly robots. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. What? I just wanted to learn about cool geckos. You're not talking about robots? I wish there was more robots in other papers we read, though. I mean, just a, I don't want to read a whole paper about robots because I think it'd be a bit boring. But um, just a smattering of robots at the end. Perfect. Yeah, a sprinkle of robots. Yeah. But, but given the fact that these people are largely engineers and they obviously know a lot about mathematics, um, the, the format of current biology starts off with this paper. There's a nice, reassuring, simple graphical abstract. So there's I clearly going to really be. I really like graphical abstracts. So do I. So you know you're going to yeah. be reading about, you know, hydrodynamics, animal locomotion bizarre physiology it's going to be pretty complicated but then at the beginning there's just a nice simple drawing of a gecko kind of slapping its way across some water and it puts you at ease before you begin which i really enjoy pictures are just adorable yeah they're hilarious like and it's a species of gecko that we both know well as well which is really nice what is it it's hemidactylus uh platyurus yeah you've probably seen one today Wait, Platyurus? Have I misspelt it? That feels like one too many syllables. It's got a Y. Platyurus. I've always said it Hemidactylus Platyurus. Platy... Yeah, but that's too... Shouldn't it just be Platyurus? No, it's got a U after the Y. Oh, so I have misspelt it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hymidactylus platyurus. I'm like 99% sure that's right. But anyway, it's a common sight in Southeast Asia, this gecko. Uh, I copied it from the paper. They've either spelt it wrong as well or not. They have it as platyurus. Well, that's wrong. Are we sure there's not two types of gecko? One that's platyurus and one's platyurus? They haven't spelt it wrong. They've spelt it right in the summary. Oh, well, they've spelt it wrong in the experimental model and subject details. So they have. Yeah, I just searched platyurus. <laughs> well, Ben, you well, need to be getting in touch with the editor because that is... Wow. <laughs> it, it's almost entirely meaningless and uh, doesn't actually make that much difference, does it? No, but it was enough to confuse you, a seasoned gecko watcher yeah but you know it i i tend not to read words by letter by letter i just look at the patterns <laughs> ah <laughs> i mean everybody's heard how i get through some of these latin names i just I just, <laughs> I just throw syllables at the wall and see what sounds better in my head anyway, if it's wrong it's wrong but <laughs> so the species just to avoid any confusion is hemidactylus platyurus and it is very common in the Southeast Asia. It's like a ge- one of these geckos that likes living in houses, hanging around by the lights, eating the bugs, and doing amusing stuff, squeaking at each other, waving their tails. They communicate. They battle. Um, they're just fun. Pretty much everything a good gecko does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They And, you know, they've got these funny little flappy skin bits on their sides and on their tails. They're adorable. And um, they're also, you know miniature deadly predators so to be respected and feared particularly if you're an insect yeah i think they're they're nice little animals and um mm. yeah i like I, they i respect animals which can kind of live alongside humans and appreciate that i'm not going to get up from my chair and try and smash them you know they have no fear of you they just live in the room which is quite cool and it's entertaining as well obviously i don't have them here in wales but in thailand where you are they when i was there they were always hanging about which was really pleasant they are. Yeah, the only sort of downside is they poo everywhere. But that's yes, a small they... price to pay. Hmm. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, but what do they look like? They're small geckos, you know, probably like, you know, four or five inches long tops, maybe a bit longer. And they've got a grey body, dappled grey markings, little striations across the back in dark grey. And like I said, these little flaps on the sides of their tails, legs and bellies, which makes them look quite funny. Um, <laughs> and the idea of this study was basically somebody saw a gecko jog over some water um, because I don't think this research team are just chucking animals on water and hoping that one of them runs. They must have... I think they were in Singapore. No, At I think that would be quite a difficult, uh, a difficult way to discover animals <laughs> yeah. that can run on water is systematically one by one. Like, oh, that pig didn't do too well. All right, yeah. we'll bring in the praying mantis. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's just flu. That doesn't really work. Hmm. Yeah, okay, exactly. What else have we got? We've got this earthworm. Yeah, throw it in, see what it does. <laughs> Earthworms definitely can't swim. They can kind of do that wiggle, which gets them off the bottom for a second, but not for very long. Yeah, not, they're not... Uh, they're no hamadactylus. No. So, yeah, they did some stuff in Singapore where they saw some geckos behaving unusually in water, and they decided to turn it into a project. And they basically set up a trial which was an aquarium full of water with an entrance hole and ramp on one side and an exit and ramp on the other side. So just imagine mm. an aquarium with two holes cut in the side, filled up to water up to the level where the holes are. And um, yeah, they put geckos on one end, touched their tail to make them run, and then observed them as they tried to run across the water, which is miraculous. Them flee across the water, yeah. It is worth saying that, yeah, exactly. They, they did observe this behaviour of running on the, across the water in the wild and... The supplementary material of this paper is all available and there'll be links in the show notes. It is well worth seeing those videos of it. There's this little gecko sitting on this stump and there's like a tree maybe a a meter away from it. And you see just off from off camera this little stick come in and just poke it. (laughs) (laughs) And off it does. It jumps into the water and just flees across the water and climbs onto the tree onto the far side. And it's just brilliant to watch. And I got another video in the in the laboratory uh, setup, and uh, seeing that little guy book it across what thirty five centimeters of water in slow motion is just wonderful. I couldn't find the videos. It's because they're not um, where you expect them to be, because they're supplementary material. Usually, that's put somewhere sort of 
externally to the paper, right? Yeah. If you go onto the online version of this paper, they're just embedded within the text. I'm undoing it. I want to see the one of the log. It's happening. It's happening. Oh, it's loading. Oh, oh. Here we go. Ha! Wow. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's actually amazing. Pretty good. They're so fast. Video is in slow motion, but you know I can tell it is fast. It's crazy, isn't it? Just don't think about it. I never saw those. Ge- I mean, I guess we just you know because we saw them in buildings. Then it surprises me that this is the gecko that has that adaptation, given the fact that they're such effective cyanthropes. Well, who says it is this gecko that has this? What if it's actually much sort of wider spread? What if the things enabling it to do it are actually more gecko related than they are? this specific hemidactylus species. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very good point. Could well be more than more than just this one. Yeah. They are all kind of that similar shape. It is a convenient species to study, let's face it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what is the motivation for these geckos to be doing this running across water, which is what they're doing. They're basically Running across the water is a little bit more complicated than that, and we'll get into it. But the reason they're doing it is because air has less drag than water, so it uses less energy if you can travel through air, and um, it's faster. But in the animal kingdom, generally speaking, there's two kinds of water-walking animals. Um, the first are those that use surface tension to hold them up, and they just strut around on top. And that's mm. arthropods. Like pond skaters. Yeah, pond skaters, which I don't think are called pond skaters in America. I think they're called... Um, I thought there's something that's called pond skaters in America, but it's not the same thing as we consider pond skaters. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, because they called pond skaters something else. Like, it was clearly a photo of a pond skater, and then, what is it they called it? They called it a, what is it? Water strider. Water strider. Which is still a pretty good name, to be fair. It's actually pretty cool, yeah. But I prefer pond skater, because they're skating rather than striding. I would say. (laughs) But anyway, that's probably just pedantry. But They do sort of slide around, don't they? Yeah, but there's those. There's also some spiders do it. But as you get bigger, it doesn't work because the surface tension won't hold you up. And yeah, if you I've think tried about it before. It, yeah. so you, you just fall straight through. It's like when I get into the bath. I just scoff at water tension. I just laugh. Yeah. You know, I laugh it off. I plunge and straight through what's, it. What's really nice is you don't get trapped underneath it as well. <laughs> yeah, that is good too, yeah. That is a fresh hell that nobody wants to experience. <laughs> oh my god, I've never even considered that. What horrible peril. Um, mm. Yeah, thankfully human beings are mighty titans and surface tension is just not a thing for us. Um, <laughs> but for, for insects and arthropods, yeah, it is. And um, Yeah, so moving across the water, more efficient than moving through the water... There are vertebrates that do this. In the paper, they use examples of dolphins and birds, um, which kind of move across the surface of the water by slapping at it. But the most famous one is the basilisk lizards, which, yeah. So the way they run across the top of the water and they sort of um, waggle their legs really fast. They hold their legs out to the side. They stand up quite straight. And yeah, they just run across the top of the water. What they do is they slap the surface and then they, that creates an air cavity, and they kind of stroke through. Um, mostly their foot stays in the air cavity. It does, it does obviously contact the water, but they're basically moving across the surface by just repeatedly slapping it and running over. And slapping these, it with incredible force, right? Yeah. Didn't they, give a, they gave us some crazy number for small basilisk lizards that are producing enough force off the top of the water to hold 225% of their weight That's each wild. step. So, like, that goes some way to explaining their sort of speed and power of actually making that work. The amount of force those legs are generating compared to body weight, just phenomenal. Yeah, and it's important to realise that they're not just doing this all the time to get around. That's like an anti-predator defence. They're only doing it in a pinch when they have to. (laughs) They're not just like... Yeah, or or just showing off, you know. Yeah, yeah, maybe they're flirting, but yeah, they're not just going to be jogging around all over the water everywhere they go. They're certainly not hunting prey. Maybe they are. I don't know. I That'd don't be amazing so. if they were. Yeah, I've never seen that, but I, th- I think it's just to get away from predators. But um, yeah, these geckos are doing it slightly differently. They're doing a bit of the uh, slap stroking that the basilisks are doing, but they're also actually utilising a bit of surface tension as well. 
Mm. Yes. So their legs are doing the basilisk thing. They're slapping away and they're undulating their bodies, you know, twisting, turning. And that means that they've got a massive range of motion with their limbs, which allows them to generate lots of force. But their tails are actually in the water while they're doing this. So only the front 70% of their body is outside the water. The tail is actually pretty much in the water and it's they're waggling that back and forth and they're using that for propulsion as well. So they're doing both the slap stroking on top of the water and kind of swimming with the tail. And um, it works incredibly well, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning it's a similar sort of gait setup as what geckos do when moving fast on land, like with mm. a sort of opposite legs moving. Yes. Yeah, so the front right and the back left, and then front left, back right, moving simultaneously. Yes. Yeah. yes. And meanwhile, their tails undulating wildly around, kind of like side a... Side. Um, yeah, like similar to how you'd imagine like a monitor lizard or a crocodile to swim with their tail, but just way faster and alongside some crazy leg movements. Yeah, that's what's interesting because they are doing the leg movements. So it's not like what a lot of lizards do when they're swimming, where they stick their little arms in and do the whole... Uh, uh, I don't know, what's, there's probably a special doggy, word for the type paddle. of swimming. Well, that's what I'm saying, not doggy paddle. The opposite of that, where... Oh, you where get, they tuck their legs in and just use their tail. Yeah, 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 where they just sort of mm. wave around like eels. Yes. I'm sure there's a real term, but swimming like an eel, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, Everybody maybe, knows how an eel swims, right? Maybe it's called like sinusoid swimming. I don't know. Mm. That, that sounds make... pretty good. Let's go with that. Yeah, well, okay. Let's coin, <laughs> let's coin the term. It might have already been coined. I don't know. But uh, yeah, they uh, they work. it works well though for these geckos. They're running across the water at speeds which nearly equate to hydroplaning. So it's faster than it would be possible for them to swim. And it's the same speed, like yeah. you say, that they can run or climb. 67 centimeters per second or 10 body lengths per second. And the authors refer to this as semi-planing. So they're nearly just like shooting across the surface of the water, but not quite because their tails are actually in the water. Yes. Yes. It's like a, it is a middle ground. I'll yeah. give you a little bit more context for that speed. That's about two miles per hour. Which is pretty well, the, damn Sorry, the maximum, the maximum speed is around two miles per hour and their max speed was 97.5 centimetres a second. For a tiny little gecko, that's pretty good. It is pretty good because they are little and I think that I like the way they say it's 10 body lengths a second. Yeah. But that's something a little bit more relatable. Yeah, yeah. Because you it... put that into a larger animal and you're like, okay, that's that's pretty serious. And they also yeah. bring up that it's faster than the swimming speed of like properly aquatic animals. Yes. They're saying it's faster than duck swimming, mink, muskrat, uh, marine iguanas, juvenile alligators and whirligig beetles. It's mental that they can swim that's faster. Yeah, that's brilliant. Like you've got aquatic specialists that are being beaten by some gecko that's been prodded by a stick and is just decided, you know, just running across the water. Just flapping around wildly. Yeah. Yeah, it's mad. And um, I alluded earlier on to the surface tension thing. They wanted to see if these geckos were actually benefiting from surface tension. So they did well, the same... Ex yeah, sorry, sorry. Before, you, before you do, it's sort of worth mentioning why they started investigating the surface tension. Oh, uh, yeah. Because okay. they, they compared the, uh, the amount of force that these little gecko feet were sort of uh, producing on the surface compared to the basilisk. I said sort of basilisks can be up to 225%. The geckos, by comparison, were down at like 40%. So, okay, you've got twice as many limbs, but you're still producing... What's that, like an eighth or less? I mean, like, way, 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 way less force on the surface of the water compared to basilisks. So, okay, there's, there might be something more going on there because the amount of force they're producing is a little bit, perhaps a little bit lacking. And then it leads on to, okay, what if surface tension is playing a role, a, a role or buoyancy, something like that, something that's helping them along so they're not entirely reliant on these air pockets being being slapped into the water mm, yeah yeah and so to test that they did the same experiment but they put a surfactant in the water which reduces the uh, water, uh, surface tension of the water and they did that with soapy water and um yeah the speed <laughs> i love that just like making them run oh, yes. across a washing up bowl <laughs> um but yeah it had a massive impact on their success at running across the water so their speed was dramatically reduced by 58% on average and they also didn't manage to carry themselves as high in the water so they were sinking in a little bit mm. so that just goes to show that yes they are benefiting from surface tension and um, 
Yeah, they have some really cool adaptations to their physiology, to their morphology, which help them, their morphology, which uh, help them to pull this off. Their bodies are really flat. Um, they have a flat ventral surface, so there's as little drag as possible. And their skin is really hydrophobic, so it actually repels water, which also reduces drag. Yeah, which is quite, just quite amazing. sliding off the water. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's just so... I mean, I wonder why they're why their skin is so hydrophobic yeah not sure like, I can't imagine it's it's for this purpose of aquatic escape because it seems so niche for something that for, for a gecko that's largely arboreal or semi-arboreal right well yeah I mean so small animals right if they're wet it really dramatically increases their weight like if you get a mouse that's soaking wet it's like two or three times heavier than it is when it's dry right so maybe just for these little animals that are always clean onto trees hanging out in humid places if they're getting wet they're going to be much slower so maybe that's why and i suppose maybe water undermines their ability to climb things as well so there's a little bit of pressure to Mm. yeah Yeah. okay yeah there's there's a little there's sort of lots of little pressures that could all mount up couldn't it yeah yeah hmm well, yeah, I mean, evolutionary time is long. Maybe it is just this, it could just be this thing. It could just be, if you're better at slapping your way across the water, you're better at living. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, yeah, in, in summary, these, um, these geckos are using a combination of undulating body movements, foot slapping, running on the water, and tail swimming. And, uh, yeah, they're traveling at really fast speeds across water in, you know... I mean, it's it's cool because it's not like basilisks. It is like basilisks, but it's also swimming. So it's kind of this middle ground of two forms of locomotion tied into one thing, which just works really well for these geckos as an anti-predator response. Yeah, I think that's what's actually really nice is it's a combination, isn't it? You're bridging the gap between these big vertebrates and then invertebrates. And here you have a... I mean, these guys are quite small geckos, aren't they? Um, yeah, they are. You gave a sort of idea of the size didn't you um so it makes a lot of sense that they're capable of exploiting two different two different methods i think the really next question for me is how widespread this is in geckos in general like i know that the paper ends with oh how could how could this be applied to um you know robotics and things like that but yeah, but we're more interested in how many other geckos are doing mad stuff, right? Like, I mean, for goodness' sake, it could be it could be so many of them because it could come from benefits of having weird feet, couldn't it? I mean, when you think yeah. of geckos, you immediately think of those little toe pads and their weird interactions, and I wonder if that has some sort of help with exploiting surface tension or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to to learn that these animals, which we have already got something amazing, you know, they've got these tiny hairs and they can run up walls, but now they can also run on water. It's like, you know, there's evolutionary trade-offs with all these things, but equally they could be synergistic and the adaptation for one is also beneficial to another thing. It's just really complicated and awesome. It is. I don't know how you'd unpick that. I guess you'd have to find geckos that sort of lived in areas completely devoid of water and see if they're still capable of it with those sort of adaptations. But then you're sort of playing with, would they even know what to do in the water? So mm. sort of behavioral angles and things like that. Mm. I don't know. I think I, I absolutely love it. I love yeah. just showing off, okay, we've got these geckos that have this really cool mechanism. This is probably how it's working. And it's actually incredibly efficient and high performance, even compared to other animals that we associate more with uh, with aquatic environments. Yeah. Yeah, thoroughly entertaining paper, to be honest. And really cool uh, videos. Yeah, and um, we'll put the videos in the show notes, so if you want to watch them, and you should. And I've also put a link to a popular science article about this, which has one of the videos in it. It's the kind of um, view from the top of the gecko running across the aquarium. So I think, yeah, if we put the one, I think it'd be better to put the one in the wild because it's just, it's a lot cooler to see the gecko doing it in a relevant place. But also it's a nice angle where it's kind of, obviously they got the, they got the top angle and the, the perfect side angle for the purpose of their investigations. But 
you know, as the casual observer, it's nice to see it sort of... In situ, yeah. Yeah, and just like, I don't know what you'd call that angle. Tele. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know, that's what it was called. That's what it was called. This is, yeah, we're getting off topic, but that's what it was called on FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> That's a game about English football. <laughs> well, and international football, let's, you know. And international football, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I meant English football as opposed to American football, because a lot of our listeners are American, so soccer. Oh, mm. football. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think we've, um, yeah, that's that was an interesting paper, and... Um, yeah, geckos more than meets the eye. Yeah. So from one crazy anti-predator defense adaptation to another, our next paper is about an animal. And this one is by Swerk, 2019. And it's called, well, it's a herp review paper. So it's just Anolis aquaticus or Norops aquaticus the water annal, underwater breathing. Herp review 2019, so it's brand new, this paper. Just want, just want to say that again, underwater breathing. Breathing yeah. underwater in a damn lizard. And it's not a fish. No. It's a lizard. It's much better than any fish. Ooh, controversial. There's some pretty cool fish. Yeah, but this is an underwater breathing lizard. Yeah, that's true. So, um... It has its own scuba suit. It does. So in the title of the paper there, they use two names for the anole, um, or anoli, as some people. I know that's a discussion, but um, I'm going to say I'm going to say anole because I just like it. And um, yeah, they're from this family, Dactoilidae. We've talked about them before on the podcast a lot. And yeah, in the, in the title yeah. of this paper, they use anolis and norops as the genus for this species. So Keep I had a brief everybody happy. Yeah, I had a brief look into the taxonomy, regrettably, and um, basically Norops was first suggested in the late 80s, and then a couple of papers by Nicholson et al. in 2012 and 2018 support the name, and they also support splitting uh, annals into eight genera, of which Anolis is still one, but there's seven others on top. And in that split, Aquaticus, which is this species, finds itself in the genus Norops, in the Norops aratus species group. Um... Yeah, so I did a I did a bit of reading around. I mean, on the face of it, it seems like Anolis could be doing could do with being split up, similar to Iguanidae and Calubidae is kind of going. But um, I had a look on Anol Annals, Anol Annals, which is um, a blog. Jonathan Losos had written about this. He wrote about it when this paper when these papers were kind of first coming out in 2012, and he didn't agree. He actually thought that the um, the splitting into eight genera wasn't the right thing to do. Um, he cites a few reasons for that. He says the Linnaean naming system is not multi-layered enough to represent the complex evolutionary lineages of annals, and moving one step closer with this split is pretty much pointless. It doesn't really do any, any better job of representing how they're related to each other. He also argued that it will cause lots of confusion. I mean, annals are one of the most written-about groups of animals probably in the world, and... Um, by changing these names, it's going to confuse a lot of people because their names will be different in new literature to old literature. Lots of museum specimens will be mislabeled. <laughs> what? So you mean like every single other? Yeah, but herb. Because I much. thought I thought that, and I was like, "Well, that's not a big deal." You know, if, if you know what you're working on, you know what to go back and look for, and at least the species epithet is the same. However, no, if, it's not because um, it? well, it, I mean, it just—it it straight up isn't that in so many ways. Because when things get split and lumped, you then have to look at the actual locality of where that animal was to work out which species it was and whether it was relevant to what you're working with now. And oh god, some of the museum stuff, like the locality data, I've seen some of the stuff for around Thailand, and they'll have complete sort of nonsense locality data. And you're like, I've got no I I literally have no idea where this could have come from. It could be that province in the north, or it could be Bangkok. <laughs> That's quite a big deal when it comes to <laughs> some of these species that have been split, because you, that could be one side or another side of a species boundary. So Yeah, yeah, that it, is an issue. It's it is difficult. And the other he actually goes into something quite specific, which is 
um, if the genus, so one of the new genera is uh, Diroptics, and Anolis occultus changes to Diroptics occulta under this new taxonomy because the um, gender uh, of the gender the, changes. Yeah, the gender of the genus changes from um, I think it's male to female, so it goes occultus to occulta. So not only is the uh, generic name different, the species epithet is also different. Yes, I, under- I understand the point you're making is that it can be confusing because things are going to be changing. Mm. And that's not, not just my of opinion. the genus, but of the species epithets as well. Yeah, yes. my, my opinion is not that complex. My opinion is, I don't know, there was loads of different anolis. Why not have a few more <laughs> gene genera to make them a bit more easy to work out what's going on? But then, as Jonathan Lewis well, points out, there's not, it's not that simple. Um, if it, yeah, exactly. I could totally be on board with it if um, if it was backed up in the sense of okay, that genera they're all more closely related to each other and it's going to remain relatively consistent. But if you're saying that it's not, yeah, I just think the complexity of anol radiations and the way they're all nested within each other is bonkers. And I'm not going to I'm not going to profess that I understand it at all. I just read the blog and briefly skimmed the papers which supported the changes um so yeah basically it's up in the air it depends how you feel about it but that is why there's two different names for this species in the title of the paper which i thought was worth addressing um but yeah that's no, enough about yeah you, you are right to address it to be fair definitely right to address it and I, but it's just sorry go on oh i just i just wish it was less confusing you know <laughs> yeah i think that's where my sort of slight disregard for some of these these rules and whatever come from is like yeah i i do understand i bet you if i was working in that field i'd actually be very on board with a lot of them because it makes people's lives simpler and easier and more consistent but from an outsider looking in i'm just it it feels like it happens so much and it's so hard to keep track of when you're doing other things on top of it that i just reach a point of despair you know (laughs) despair ben come back to the point of despair (laughs) It is well. I mean, I've been working on a on a project that's pulling down records in a sort of automated way, and I'm having to do it via all these damn different synonyms for a single species, yeah. working out which synonyms matching with what in a sort of sensible way. And I'm also having to do it for all common names that are linked to things. And common names in herps is even worse. I'm just working with snakes, and it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And once you just get to that scale of like, there just isn't a good way of doing this accurately for everything consistently. You have to do it species by species to be correct. Oh, it's just a bit exhausting, you know? Hmm, fair play. Well, it's not, yeah, there's just so many common names for things. Did you, there was a map on Twitter the other day of um, all the different words for stickleback in the UK. And there's like 50 yeah. different common names for sticklebacks in the UK. The UK is not even big and it's one language. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, now work with a, you know, a snake that crosses an entire continent. Yeah, with subspecies and things like that. It's just, oh, it's nightmarish. But we digress heavily from the topic of an <laughs> underwater <laughs> yeah, breathing lizard. Yeah, let's get back on track. So yeah, Norops. I'm going to go for Norops aquaticus just to be controversial. Uh, <laughs> Norops aquaticus is appropriately called the water anole. And uh, yeah, this is a note about its behaviour. So um, during the course of other fieldwork in Costa Rica, 600 yes. different animals approximately were observed doing, um, well, stuff, e- exhibiting anti-predator behaviours. And essentially when you scare this animal... Showed fear. Yeah, they like hanging around near water, hence the name the water animal. And when you frighten them, they jump off their perch into the water and they kind of swim or dive to safety, which is smart because... Lots of animals that eat animals hate getting wet. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I would imagine if something jumps into the water, you're probably not going to necessarily go in after it. You just suck <laughs> it off. give up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get wet. Um, uh-huh. But they oh, don't just... land animals. Yeah. They don't just jump in the water though. They also take it one step further. They seem to stay underwater for quite a long time, hiding from whatever the predator might be. But how? I hear you ask. How? How can they stay underwater for so long? Well, well, what do you mean by so long? Because they're saying the longest... 16 I think minutes. They suggest 16 minutes, yeah. To Which fair, is lo- quite remarkable, really. I couldn't stay underwater for 16 minutes. I don't even want to stay underwater for 16 minutes. 
I have stayed underwater for 16 minutes, but it was with a scuba tank. So you cheated? Yeah. Damn. I did. But, um, yeah, I mean, 16 minutes. Yeah, okay, it's a while. It's longer than we could do, but turtles would scoff at 16 minutes. Yeah, but... I they're mean, water. They're water. They're folks of the water, though, aren't they? They're, they're denizens yeah. You just of look the at lake. a turtle and you're like, yeah, you got a different way of life. Yeah. I feel like a lizard has a more similar way to life to me than a turtle does. Yeah. No, I mean, having startled you when you've been lounging on branches, I've seen you flop straight into the water. <laughs> oh yeah, or scuttle into a little crevice somewhere. Um, but yeah, they're staying under the water, and it seems as though. There's some awesome photos and videos of this. Um, yes. Essentially, they have a sack of air near their skin, which they appear to be breathing in and out. So the air bubble hangs onto this depression on top of the head, and there's ridges along the snout between the eyes and nostril. And it basically forms this bubble of air around the head. And yeah. I used to... Yeah, a thin, a thin film... Yes, it's right. Yeah, it's not, but it, there is a bubble sometimes just on top of the head. There's like a little bubble that you can see and you can see it going in and out. But for the most part, it's a really, really thin film. It's almost like um, if, you, if you're if you in a swimming pool and you um, trap a little bit of air under your hand and bring it underwater. It's like that, isn't it? It's just like a little thin, little thin film. Um, I, was hoping, I was hoping you were going to think of a better, a better analogy than that, to be honest. Because <laughs> yeah, I was, I was sitting here thinking, okay, what, what does that that like, I can relate to in my everyday life, and I couldn't think of anything. And you started, and I was like, oh, thank God, Tom, Tom's for something. This will be great. It's just holding, holding air underwater. That's <laughs> 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 not good enough. Wow. Okay. Um, but I don't do have you... anything to compete. That's the problem. Uh, when does it happen? I think I think the best example I can think of is when a water anole jumps into the water when it's been spooked <laughs> by a predator. It looks just like that. Uh, thing is, I've got an image in my head of these thin films of air. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, I know what it looks like. If you see a video of a seal underneath the ice and it breathes out and the water gets trapped underneath the ice and it kind of moves along. That's yeah, what it, it gets looks, trapped, you mean? That's what it looks like. An underwater breathing seal. Yeah. Under ice. Well, harsh critique of my uh, analogy there, but I appreciate it. You know, I can go forward working harder. <laughs> I, much, I much prefer the seal one. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't prepared it. I just came up with it. And um, yeah, no, it was bad. So, fair. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, uh, not only does the water st- sort of stick onto the ridges and bits and bobs of the head and neck, but the skin is also hydrophobic, so it stops it actually sticking onto the skin too much. So that creates this kind of like film of water that you described, Ben. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're breathing it. You can see in the video, they're breathing it in and out. You can see their little chest rising and falling as they breathe in and out. And, and um, bubble developing on the on the front of their head in that sort of depression just in front of the eyes top of the snout sort of area yeah and it's like it's quite a remarkable sized bubble too it's getting as tall as the as tall as the head is tall and then being brought back in Hmm. yeah but um yeah it hasn't actually been tested formally to see whether or not the animal is actually gaining oxygen from doing this but it certainly looks like it is and um, It, it looks like it is it seems really weird to say that it isn't um, because it's not like an animal extracts all the oxygen in a single breath. Like, they're not 100% efficient with their oxygen intake, right? No. So I don't... Like, I understand the caveat being there is like, yes, you cannot say that for sure, but I'll be amazed. I will be amazed if it's not benefiting them in some way. Yeah. It's definitely... They're not doing it. There is... Um there is suggestion in the paper that maybe it's just a, you know, instinct, a really reflex quirk. to just keep breathing. But most animals that can breathe in land know not to breathe underwater. Yeah, because it's really, really unpleasant. Yeah, unless this evolved as a strategy for an animal which is completely unable to not breathe. That just seems can. really unlikely. So now you're, what, what seems more likely, that they're getting some sort of benefit from it, or that these lizards don't know to hold their breath? 
Yeah, that just seems like, so The second improbable. one seems really, really weird as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I, reckon, I reckon they're hitting the nail on the head with, yeah, it's going to be benefiting them. Yeah. And even to... The, I have no idea how you'd even work out whether they were actually getting oxygen during those times. Like, I'm guessing you'd have to implant them with something that could measure respiration because you couldn't do anything externally because it would, it would break the surface tension benefits, right? Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, you'd have to divide you set with them, a. Maybe yeah. set one up in a completely closed, airtight environment. Know the exact oxygen level. No, it's it's not like oh, I don't even know. Yeah, something would... in an entirely closed system and see how the the mix of gases changes over time when they're outside during when they're inside uh, underwater compared to when they're out of yes, the water. That's exactly what you'd have to do with a respirometer with a water yeah. tank. It would be hard though. It, I'm sure there's people way better placed to devise this experiment than us. Probably Dr. I hope Swerk. so because I, I, I'm, you know, I've got no chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, like fascinating. And, um, just another way that lizards are surprising us, an animal going underwater with a little mini homemade scuba tank. But at the same time, if there's going to be a group of lizards that come out with some crazy surprises and some crazy, like, really niche adaptations, it's going to be these guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, you know, we've mentioned the diversity of anolis lizards. Yeah. It's pretty... It feels quite fitting that it's yeah. uh, a water animal that's, that's doing this. Absolutely and, um, incredible. Yeah, this I shared on Facebook, so related to anoles. There's a which anole are you quiz, which I'll yeah. put in the uh, link in the show <laughs> notes, which is a fun way to kind of round off thinking about anoles. Um, I got giant crown anole, which I'm oh, quite I got happy some, with. I got some very plain rock ground dwelling anole. I, <laughs> yes. I, I forget the precise species. I love that you did it. The, the last question for me was, um, how big are your sub-digital toe pads? And I said, they're pretty big. I'm a swole anole. <laughs> <laughs> um, swole, I think, is some kind of slang, meaning muscular. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah I was happy with Crown Giant I think they're one of the most badass animals going big big ruffians that hang around at the top of the tree big brutes hi yeah Yeah, no messing so yeah animals can breathe underwater geckos can run across water I don't know what's going on with lizards at the moment lizards are amazing watch them do incredible things in some videos yeah 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 I mean what what more I, I can't wait until there's a little bit more work done on this uh, water animal situation. Because, yeah. oh boy. I mean, to be honest, I don't know where <laughs> where more to go, to be honest. Um, See if it works in soapy water? <laughs> yeah, but that's way too high risk, man. What yeah. if it doesn't? Mate, you just got to find some willing volunteers to be expendable animals. I don't know. No. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm not on board with that. There'll be a new direction for it to be taken in, I am sure. Um, but yeah, really cool stuff and uh, amazing adaptations of lizards. Still not as cool yeah. as snakes, which uh, brings us on to our species of the bi-week. <laughs> That's what you're just going to leave that, leave that hanging. Yeah. I mean, you know, snakes are lizards really, aren't they? No. They I mean, they are in. though. <laughs> They've got no legs. Yeah, but so do legless lizards. They've got no legs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. The, the snakes are lizards. What do we got? So, this is a paper by Carrasco, Graziotin... Farfan Kok Okoa, Scrochi Chaparro et al. There's more, I think. Um, a new species of Bothrops from Pampas del Heath, southeastern Peru, 
with comments on the systematics of the Bothrops Nuidae species group published in Zootaxa, as I said, this year. So this is a brand new pit viper species. Best ever. We completely failed at doing our segue. The segue was meant to be... Oh, look at these lizards running away from things and jumping in the water. Ah. I wonder what they could be running away from. What if it's a newly found pit viper that happens to live in South America? Wow. Oh, what's our species of biwick? Oh, it's a, it's a newly found, uh, newly described pit viper that potentially could scare lizards into the water from South America. But I don't think... Does Anolis aquaticus come from Peru? I don't think so. I don't, I thought no, they it were doesn't a, come from Peru. <laughs> they're a radiation further north, in, right? In uh, like Costa Rica and Panama, aren't they? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's all. Like that's all I got. I mean, it doesn't work as a segue being told after the whole introduction, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is the forty sixth species to be added to Bothrops, uh, a genus oh which gosh. is yeah, big one. This is a widespread genus. But then we in just South talked America. about Anolis that's way, way, way bigger. Yeah, there's like 400. Yeah. Or depending so, on whether or not... If you split them into eight, not so many. But... Um, <laughs> there's still a lot, though, surely. Yeah, there's yeah, There's still yeah. going to be 50 or so. Quick maths. Um, yeah, so we're in Pampas del Heath, which is in the Bahuaja Sunini National Park. Oh, sorry if I've butchered that name. But that is a natural protected area in southeastern Peru. So it's near the Bolivian border. So if you imagine South America, it's kind of like on the east as it turns the corner that's where we are um, as it turns the corner yeah I, I actually know what you mean by that yeah everyone does I'm great yeah. at describing things like that much better than my analogies <laughs> hey man usually they're on point I'm sorry <laughs> it's fine I'm just you know just stings a little bit um, it's part it's of anyway the you'll learn <laughs> yeah just like savage negative reinforcement so um yeah, it's part of the dry diagonal across South America. So um, there's like a diagonal strip of slightly drier forest, um, sort of heathland type stuff. It's not all it's not all Amazon. And um, I haven't actually visited South America. I've never been. But I always imagine if someone said to me Bothrops, I think of essentially kind of the basically the same as sort of Southeast Asian pit vipers, you know, your Tremerosaurus things, but, you know, tree dwelling, yes. green pit vipers, basically. I always think yeah. of them kind of convergently evolving with um, things like that. But this one is not an inhabitant of thick tropical forest. It's actually from Heathland. And um, this area is actually humid tropical savanna, seasonal flooded grassland. And there's little sort of interspersed woodlots with little bits of trees where it's a little bit drier. And there's also palm swamp. And um, yeah, this uh, area has been a protected area since 1983, which is good. So this, these snakes are protected. And um, yeah, it's a brand new species. Uh, what's it called? Bothrops. It is. Go on. Uh, I guess it's Bothrops. So neat. So name it. I don't really know how to say that, to be honest. No. Because <clears throat> it it's could either. be sown... Nay, I guess. Sonane or Sonane? Or so... Ne, ne. <laughs> I don't think it's that. It's difficult. You need a little, um... What do you call... What do you call the, uh... There's a special alphabet for it, isn't there? Phonetic alphabet. Yeah. Because... Here you go. There's a, there's a pronunciation here on the internet. It's pronounced... Bawaha Sonanini National Park. Sonnini. Son... So it's Sonnini. Sonnini. Yeah. Okay. That, wow, but a little bit of research. You, you said it's, it, it's not Spanish, though. The term isn't Spanish. It would be... No? Peru? No, it's Tucano. Oh. Okay. It was pronounced by a Spanish speaker. Oh, well, I guess maybe well, yeah, the Spanish I'm, I'm... person's butchered it and I'm butchering their version. Yeah, it could be. Well, the, <laughs> the point is, the term comes from the Tucana language, which is a local language in this yeah. area of Peru slash Bolivia. Although I think it actually spreads to slightly further places as well. Um, I, was, I was doing a little bit of looking at it, and it's it's not actually spoken by as many people as you'd expect. But I suppose that's the case with a lot of 
older languages in these places have taken a bit of a uh, a beating in that regard. Yeah, along with the people that speak them and their cultures, mm. which is rough. Um, yeah, so this new species it can be told apart from other Bothrops by the dorsal pan, which has lots of little small C-shaped blotches, which is apparently unique for Bothrops. There's no other Bothrops which has that kind of C-shaped blotches all down the back. Also has yeah. a nice stripe behind the eye and a cream belly, heavily speckled with brown. Um, to me, but- they've got a little bit of um, Russell's Viper about them. Yeah, I can like see a, that. Like a slim Russell's Viper. Yeah. With those yeah. markings. It is a bit like a slim Russell's Viper, I suppose. It's uh, got a little bit of Malayan Pit Viper in there as well, I would say. Yeah. Not obviously just in terms of how it looks. The head is um, a little bit less defined than in lots of Pit Vipers. It's still a big head, but it's a little bit narrower. Mm. Yeah, smoothed out a wee bit. Yeah. Mm. Massive eyes. It's a diurnal snake, which is cool. It's a, most, I think, Pit Vipers I think of a sort of nocturnal but this is a diurnal snake true yeah and um yeah some apparently it's quite fast some of them they found slithering around rapidly <laughs> rapid slithering yeah and um yeah. it's sort of a lot of the forest that inhabits floods part of the year so it'll hang around in the grass above the flooded forest and then when it's really wet they retreat to the kind of slightly more wooded areas where it stays a bit drier during the wet season mm. we haven't said how big they are the uh, the female they had for the holotype was uh, 950mm SVL with an additional 123 tail length on top of that. So they're pretty long. Pretty decent size, isn't it? Yeah, for a pit viper, like over a metre. Not bad. Not bad. Um... They're saying the adult adult sort of males, less than that, maybe 500, 600, that sort of length. Yeah, that is a decent sized pit viper. Yeah. Doesn't say, but it's fair to assume they're live bearing. Uh, I su- I presume so. Yeah, I think what, so. Uh, what genus is uh, the Bushmaster in? Um, it's not a Bothrops, is it? No, it's... Uh, it's its own, own deal, I would suspect. Lachesis. Lachesis, that's it. Lachesis. Oh, right. Yeah, so this species is known to occur in this... Pampas del Heath, as we've said, and um, yeah, they were, all the specimens they found were found at the end of the rainy season and into the dry season. Um, they seem to be closely associated with water bodies, possibly because they're hunting things which like the water. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, a lot of the amphibians, or pretty much all the amphibians in this area, once the forest floods and, you know, the rains come, they all flock to these temporary pools that are all over the place to to breed and i, I mean turn into say, a little buffet yeah it doesn't say what these things are eating but i would be surprised if frogs didn't feature um yeah yeah, yeah. it's pretty usual for a pit viper isn't it yeah exactly yeah and um yeah the habitat looks really cool some palms in a grassy wet it's cool the the the, for, the floor is mostly just long grass with sort of water over most of it and then there's these giant palm trees towering over everything and um yeah it looks quite in the middle there's these little pit vipers cruising around rapidly yeah. but important to note it's not a forest at all really it's an open habit it's a very open habitat you know trees mm. cover a very small percentage of it which is um cool to think of these pit vipers you know cruising around through this swampy swampy place i bet it's hard to find them in that environment Oh. Especially as they're diurnal. Yeah. yeah, it's because you can't do the trick of glowing in the dark stuff, can you? No. No. No, it's easy to spot an ambushing pit viper at night time, but in the day, it's going to be hard. Mm. Maybe it isn't. Maybe they're just really. Maybe they're everywhere. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a new. Maybe they're brand. everywhere. They're super easy to find. <laughs> yeah, tripping over them. That would be amazing. But um, yeah, brand new species. And. Uh, yeah, nice name from the local language. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good looking snake. Yeah, happy days. I think that that wraps us up for our three papers. Yeah, for sure. We've got geckos running on water, we got anoles breathing underwater, and we got a 
Bothrops that hangs around the water. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much to Jeremiah Martin for suggesting yeah. uh, lizard defensive adaptations as a topic. Really enjoyed that. Really cool stuff. And, um, yeah, have you got any other business? Uh, do I have any other business? I do not. No? I haven't had for a few episodes, and I still don't. No, that's okay. Well, I haven't got a lot either. Um, we've got a new Patreon who we've got to thank, which is, who is uh, Max McLaren. So thank you very much, Max. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, aside from that, um, I think we're pretty much good to go no new soft shell turtle news this week unfortunately <laughs> uh, so we can't make a segment <laughs> no but we could just think about them for a bit yeah well, yeah we could do that I love maybe them. everybody should just take five minutes of their day mm. and uh, think about soft shell turtles yeah that baby soft skin right now stretched over a carapace it doesn't protect them well so they're quite offensive if you pick them up <laughs> best to just leave them to it yeah Swimming around. Yeah. Eating things. Maybe making a little migration to lay their eggs. Yeah. Getting eaten by an alligator. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Soft shell turtles. But yeah, that wraps up our episode. Um, I've got nothing else to add. So, yeah. if We'll put those videos in the show notes if you want to watch oh, the gecko. They're already there. Yeah, gecko run swimming or the underwater breathing aquatic anole. And if you want to do the which anole are you quiz, do it. <laughs> well, the link's in the show notes or you can find it on our Facebook page. Awesome. Uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, herphighlights at gmail.com or we're on facebook.com slash herphighlights. And Twitter, we tweet at herphighlights. And um, if you have enjoyed the podcast and you enjoy it regularly, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts because it helps us move up rankings and more people can hear it. That'd be yeah, very Yeah, I mean, handy. we say that. Does anybody actually have any evidence of that working and actually mattering at I just, all? I just or do heard. people find it because they see someone talking about it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and it just gets by like word of mouth I really really wonder how many people actually come across this podcast via a podcast app and the reviews well I don't know is <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that but your uh, yeah your opinion seems do- to be stronger than mine um, maybe it I just work. wonder whether it would be <laughs> maybe just I don't, know. don't leave it- us a review don't waste your time how about that? Well, yeah, just, maybe, just, maybe just, don't, just, but like, just, when someone's being like, oh man, I wish there was a herpological podcast I could listen to, maybe one every couple of weeks, that'd be great. You say, hey, I, hey, hey, I got one that maybe you might be interested in. <laughs> yeah. Nah, okay, I, fair. Dude, I don't know. I, <laughs> maybe the, maybe the reviews are really important, but yeah. they always, it, it seems a bit strange because maybe it only matters for like really popular podcasts I don't think we're going to overtake really big ones so no and it, it, we're so niche that it's not like someone's going to come along and be like oh this podcast is highly rated let's give it a listen oh it's about lizards oh, <laughs> oh I'm out wow I'm done in-depth analysis these reviews of were great literature <laughs> oh god this, this guy spent half an episode talking about pee hacking get him out of here <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair well, anyway, I hope everyone has enjoyed that episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for episode number 50. Whoa, special yeah. episode. Yeah, are we divulging what it's going to be about? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it's going to be about toads. Uh, exhausting. <laughs> Absolute amphibian perfection. What kind of toads? Oh, only the best type. Is it cane toads? No, it's all toads. All toads are the best type. Oh. I haven't seen any toads. Actually, no, I have seen some toads this week. I've seen a couple of toads. I actually found a uh, snake under a few... Actually, I didn't. One of, my, one of the master's students did. <laughs> you Lauren. can't say a snake under a toad. <laughs> it was a snake and a toad hanging out together under a refugia. I mean, oh, you nice. know, I, I, I get the impression they were friends. 
they could have been and then i suppose you sort of picked up their home they were making making a you know making a little life together and the toad sat there and just observed you scooping up the snake <laughs> taking measurements being like, oh, yeah i think it's like it's like this in, is a uh, new one you know in Toy Story where they're like pick me pick me and there's a little claw that comes down <laughs> the toad was like why do they never measure me <laughs> oh yes my toxin's done another good job <laughs> yeah yeah just see the toad see you later snake buddy <laughs> <laughs> good luck yeah I don't know anyway thanks for listening mm, thank you for listening That's a real question. How good would geckos be if they were trained to play football? Those sticky feet. They could they could just cheat. Yeah. Grab the ball and run run around on their hands. <laughs> that's one that's one for the future, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate, that's that's the peak Thunderdome study. Yeah, that really is. Gecko <laughs> yeah. football.